Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. New England Patriots stood on the precipice, waiting to step up on the pedestal whereupon stood the Pittsburgh Steelers, alone with their glimmering six trophies. Schadenfreude is the experience of pleasure or joy one takes from troubles, failures, or humiliation of another. And so we joined those soulless LA Rams fans, cheering against the hated Bostonians, reveling in each third down as the Rams denied the Patriots access to the end zone. Alas, it is not to the strong and swift to which victory is afforded, it is to the squalid deceiver. Unfortunately, when the Steelers turn their head to the right of the driver's seat, they will be staring at the visage of a New England Patriot. Let that sink in. Welcome to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, a proud member of the Armchair All-Americans Network. It's February 4th, 2019. Episode 77. Actually, when you get this, it will be February 5th, 2019. We are recording this several hours before the Super Bowl, but we don't want to publish this until we get the results. Obviously, that would be kind of anticlimactic and our stories would be overwhelmed with the game that's going on a little bit. So we'll record some of this today, uh, finishing up tomorrow, and you should get this tomorrow night. This is Tom from the Washington, D.C. Outpost. Nick joins me from the Houston Outpost. How's it going, everybody? Let's celebrate another terrible Super Bowl. Go Rams. Hello, everybody. This is day two of podcast episode 77. We are here to regale you with tales of one of the more exciting Super Bowls in history, with New England Patriots vanquishing the Los Angeles Rams 13-3. to And I think the lowest scoring Super Bowl of all time, and boy, let me tell you, it was tension, wire to wire. You just... Didn't know who would win or who could play worse. But uh, in all honesty, it's a sad day. The Patriots have now tied the Steelers at the top of the NFL hierarchy with six Super Bowls. But I'm not really feeling the sting of that too much. Honestly, when they got the last one, I sort of saw the writing on the wall. It was coming up against us. And the Patriots were definitely the best team by the end of the season, they were so well-rounded. They really peaked in the playoffs when they started just running the ball down teams throats and exhausting these defenses. And they just proved that they were more balanced and well-rounded than all of the rest of the NFL. And I know a lot of saints fans are complaining. Uh, I get it. They should be done by now. The saints were a well-rounded team, but not to the level of the Patriots. And it's not about the saints, is it? Um, the Patriots take, uh, uh, basically what amounted to a waste of four hours of us watching that game. <laughs> it's true. It's just fascinating. So I just read this statistic. The Rams are the 11th highest scoring team in NFL history. Did, was that all their second team that played or what? So I will say one thing. I was trying to look at the game throughout the course of it, and I think some people were trying to make the argument in the first half. Some of the people who have – 
a big problem with all the high scoring games in the NFL this year. And they want to say, Oh, so the second you get a defensive struggle, you guys can't uh, be interested in the NFL game. You're not real fans. You don't understand football. Uh, I would argue that it was actually not so much of a defensive struggle, but a, an offensive struggle and that an offensive struggle in terms of they struggled to play offense. And the first half just seemed more like bad throws by Brady and Goff soiling himself left and right, which continued into the second half. It seemed more like that than a defensive struggle. But you know what? By the end of the game, once you saw the the just the finished work, the Rams and Patriots both played incredible defense. I do think so when it comes to the Patriots playing defense on the Rams, I think a lot of people have figured the Rams out over the second half of the of the season. They haven't really um, been the high-flying offense that we saw in the beginning of the season for quite some time now. I mean, you saw they barely eked out with victory against um, New Orleans, obviously just the week prior when the Steelers absolutely lit up New Orleans in that building. Yeah, this, so seems, think- like, this, this seems like the running quarterback. This is RG3, right? <clears throat> Fantastic until people get some film on him. Yeah, I think that Sean McVay is going to obviously grow from this and have to learn. But it is interesting. When I watch the Jaguars play, I get frustrated. Or not the, the Jaguars. I'm thinking of the Jaguars because they were another team that only ran three or four plays. And I got mad when our team lost to them last year. But with the Rams, they famously um, like exclusively use 11 personnel on offense, which is to say you have one tight end, one running back, and three wide receivers. And their offense isn't like they don't have this encyclopedia of plays and formations like the Patriots or the Saints do or even the Steelers do a decent job with that. They just do some odd things and they do them well. And it's all about counters off of those things. So those little jet sweep motions, they do a ton of outside zone running. Uh, recently they've been doing more inside running, but they do the zone running and Todd Gurley was so great with that all year that teams had to respect their outside zone running. So off of that, you had a ton of bootleg plays where golf would fake it and he would fade back and he'd throw a little, either a little crossing route over the middle or he'd throw it to the running back or the tight end out in the flat or you throw a deep one. But it was just a combination of any of those like six plays all season. And it was hard for defense to get a key on them, but Bill Belichick, I mean, he has a whole season, two two seasons of keys on them and two weeks worth of um, data, and they just shut down everything that the Rams wanted to do. They took away the easy completions that Jared Goff is used to getting, and Jared Goff just is a guy who isn't ready to be a playmaker and make plays out of structure at this point. You know who else isn't ready? Sean McVay. Here's my analogy. Sean McVay, new gunslinger in town, shooting up the whole town. Everybody's afraid of him. And then who walks into the double door of the saloon? Clint Eastwood, Bill Belichick. It was, yeah. the, you know, that all the all the accolades for sort of the youth movement in the NFL. And it, it, as a guy on the north side of 50, it made me feel bad, like all you young gunslingers are going to come up and take our jobs. But in the end, right. the experience and maybe not every experience coach could have done this, but it did show that the experience, uh, the experience of Belichick was o- too overwhelming. That's Isn't it funny? It's funny, though. You're right about the whole offensive, the whole year was deemed as the changing of the guard in the NFL. It's going to be these great offenses that prevail in the end. And at the end of the day, it was defense that prevailed all the way, you know, throughout the championship weekend 
and in the Super Bowl. Although, of course, the teams, the four teams that made it to the championship weekend were the teams with those dominant, dominant offenses that could roll through the regular season and make sure that they beat up on teams like, you know, the Jaguars and the Broncos, let's say, if they were to have to play them. So then they were able to get to that point. But either way, uh, the game... It was terrible, I would say. Um, I, we were talking earlier. I don't know if I'd rank it above or below or probably on par with some of the blowouts that we've seen since I've been watching Super Bowls. So I always think of those dominant defenses that just dom- that crush the other teams in Super Bowls. So when the Ravens beat the Giants, the Buccaneers over the Oakland Raiders, and then the Seahawks trouncing the Peyton Manning Broncos, those games were at least they had something happen in them, but they were done by like halfway through the second quarter. So you really didn't have a game to watch in the second half. And that's all the merit I can kind of give this game in terms of, well, at least we had to sit there and and see it through, even though it seemed like new England was going to prevail, but the defensive, uh, just both defenses were, were pretty incredible, both from a player standpoint and from the old guys coaching the defenses, Bill Belichick and Wade Phillips, and then I guess a younger guy, uh, Brian Flores, the defensive coordinator for the Patriots, who's now going to be the lead, uh, the head coach for the Dolphins. So that was impressive. I think that Jared Goff, I mean, I don't remember the last time a quarterback has come up that small. Somebody tried to compare him to, to Ben's Super Bowl against the Seahawks, but I don't think that's accurate at all. Ben obviously wasn't great in that game, but he at least made some huge plays. He could, he, he made field flipping plays, the long scramble where he reversed field and threw all the way downfield to Heinz Ward to the one yard line, you know, running him for a touchdown. He at least sparked his team that way. Goff couldn't give them anything. And Brady honestly is probably the other reason why the game was so close. Brady has not been great as of recent. Uh, he obviously hasn't been bad. That first interception was pretty bad, but I guess he had a drive at the end of the game, and that's kind of what it came down to. But he was a little bit off all day as well. While you were talking, I was thinking about the um, score differential over Super Bowls. I just ran it. Fourteen. The score differential is 14 over the history The 53. Well, actually, not including this year's. Do you find that high? I mean, there were some major 14, blowouts. I'm sorry you broke up for a second there. A lot of that. We're, we're, we're recording on Skype today, guys. So once again, it's audio jungle here. But I just I said do, that the average differential is usually 14 Bowl is, is the margin 14. of victory. Yeah. I mean, it's all I over do find the that really high. It's so funny because, well, I guess there were, you know, we've been sort of spoiled in the Patriots era. Like we talk about, it always comes down with an eight. And I guess they finally broke that. <laughs> this was a 10.1, but we have been treated to a ton of really close Super Bowls in the past 20 years. <sighs> it makes it so much worse when I say that because the Patriots are in half of those Super Bowls. But um, yeah, the game wasn't always like that. And, you know, you see it in the championship sometimes. Teams just get blown out. But we have been treated to some great Super Bowls recently, but I guess some of the old blowouts blow that out of proportion. And if you're a Steelers fan especially, I mean, we've been in nothing but close Super Bowls, so I guess that's the way we view it. But I know the Niners were blowing some people out of the water in the 80s and stuff like that. Yeah, a good call on that. The the, uh, the Niners in for the 19 was played in January 90. 455, Denver Broncos, 10. That's Joe Mo. Yeah, that's too bad. Well, you know what? If you look at the Patriots, I mean, to me, 
I don't even think that there's an arguable point here. I know there might be some some bitter Steelers fans about this, but it, the Patriots' success does not take away from the Steelers' success and what the Steelers have done. And you can never unwrite the Steelers' story, and they got still more to go. But to me, it's not even an argument. The Patriots are the greatest franchise in the history of professional sports. I said that earlier on the podcast before we had watched the Super Bowl. I, it wouldn't have changed my mind even if they hadn't won. You know, just the ability to win so consistently for such a long time in a league that is purposely set up to make sure that you can't succeed like this is just incredible. But there are some things that the Steelers can learn from the Patriots. The the two biggest things I took, two or three were this. Obviously, they're aggressive in free agency, and the Patriots are all about depth. They sign players who fit into a system. Okay, that's easier. Not everyone has a Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels system. I get that. But their best player outside of Julian Edelman was Stephon Gilmore, the cornerback that they signed um, from the Buffalo Bills a year ago. He was excellent. The Steelers got to obviously we know that they got to try and make a splash in free agency at these key positions. They always make sure they have corners and people who can play man to man in New England. And that was huge for them. And then the other thing is. Brady wasn't bad, but he wasn't good. And he won a Super Bowl the same way that you see a lot of late career quarterbacks win Super Bowls. Elway, Peyton Manning at the end. They turn their team into a power run game team. And what they do is they just absolutely exhaust the opposition with plays and they run the defense down. So by the end of the game, they were able to rip off 20 yard runs on what was a drive that they're, they're, you know, most teams goal is just, just get a first down. Well, they just have 20 yard run after 20 yard run. Hopefully this is something the Steelers can move to, to prepare for the end of Ben's career. Hopefully he can still sling it around this year, but you know, building your team and your roster around that is something to look forward to going into the future. And that's why I want to keep all the linemen intact. Uh, so I don't want to talk about the Super Bowl anymore. I want to get started with anyway. 19. So why don't we end this segment and let's slide the podcast into some special human interest stories revolving around the Steelers and others. Any last words on the Super Bowl? Not particularly. Uh, hey, let's let's look at our positive. Puts the pressure even further on the Steelers if there possibly could be any. I know AB is tweeting during the Super Bowl. Uh, retweet if you want AB in Pittsburgh, which I, of course, immediately retweeted and said, I am not above this. Yes, I want AB <laughs> in Pittsburgh. Get your butt back here. We need to get to seven because the Patriots are lit a fire under our butts. So we'll get back with some more stories next week. We're already doing our offseason programming. We're going to get Pete Butch back on the, on the podcast for some discussions. And then, of course, we're going to start getting heavy into draft season and uh, free agent season and – it's February now. We got a couple weeks till March, but March is when a lot of the action is supposed to start. Get a better handle on uh, what Ben's contract is going to look like. Get a better handle on whether AB's coming back or not, and and who else might be coming back or not. So we'll be getting into that pretty soon. Um, Rams, wow, you failed us, Jared Goff. Jeez, buddy, that's the difference between a great quarterback and a poopy quarterback. I'm not saying he he still can't be good. Because, yeah, Ben wasn't great at that age in the Super Bowl, but Ben was much better than that. Russell Wilson was much better than that. These guys at least knew how to make plays off schedule. Uh, That ain't no good. Come on now. All right. On to our regular programming. We're going to open up with a little bit of depressing news. Alan Fanica. 
finalist for the third straight year for the Hall of Fame didn't make it in. Yeah, let, before we get into all this Super Bowl talk, let's just start with some relevant Steelers news and Fanica. He got snubbed for real from the Hall of Fame. I mean, this guy, there's a great argument to be made that Alan Fanica should have been a first ballot Hall of Famer based on how dominant he was at his position. Was in nine Pro Bowls, six All Pros, one second team All Pro, Super Bowl wins, so on and so forth. But the bottom line is he was one of the best one or two guards in the league for a decade in the NFL. But we all know that offensive linemen get screwed. The, more than any other position in terms of Hall of Fame. So he deserves, in my mind, he should have been a first ballot Hall of Famer because he was for his, if you had a, a running back who had nine Pro Bowls and six All Pros, and listen, I know those aren't the end all be all. Um, sometimes those can be, a, uh, particularly the Pro Bowls can be a popularity contest, but that wasn't the case with Fanica. He was the real deal. Imagine if you had a running back with those types of numbers. Ben doesn't even have those types of accolades and he'll be considered a shoe in but fanica was a top player at his position for a decade and the guy's still waiting to get in and meanwhile kevin mawai the jets center who was a great center and deserving of the hall of fame he got in over fanica and hutcherson and baselli and a couple other linemen who seemed a little bit more deserving so you know hall of fame is politics as well Obviously, T.O. should have been the, one of the easiest slam dunk first bet Hall of Famers. Um, and he had to wait a couple of years because he's not a likable guy and he screwed his teammates so many times. Um, and I know people want to say that should go into your, your judgment of the Hall of Fame, but that does seem more like a politics thing. So I don't know what it is behind the scenes. Um, I'm not saying Kevin Mawai shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. It just seems funny that another lineman got in before such – an easy slam dunk Hall of Famer. Fanica has to wait another year, and hopefully he gets in some point. So I'm going to expand some advice I give parents of young children. A, don't let them be in gymnastics. B, don't let them be divers. And mm-hmm. now C, don't let them be offensive linemen because it's so subjective. I mean, if they're using Pro Bowls as the, as the measuring stick for the Hall of Fame, I know that uh, Pro Football right. Focus has a number of statistics. Well, there goes later on's refreshment. But those statistics, you know, I guess, um, hey, they don't go back. They go back to just several years, but they're still sort of subjective. I mean, you've got to, you operate within a team framework and it's hard to judge. Uh, maybe they ought to just set more side, more slots aside for offensive line. I think because you're right. Overwhelmed. It looks like one guy makes it a year and then you just get overwhelmed with the statistics that wide receivers, running backs and quarterbacks can bring. That's the thing. There are no statistics for offensive line pancake. Is not that's not a statistic. Just because you don't knock the guy over doesn't mean you had a per you know, you don't have to knock the guy over to have a perfect rep. And they tried to make pancakes as sort of a resp- uh, as a statistic that sort of responded to this issue that we're talking about. And basically, the thing is this: most of the public can tell if there's a good quarterback or receiver. You know, you don't need to be a football expert to realize that they move the ball down the field, they score. You need to know football and you also need to take time to watch film in order to figure out which offensive linemen are great because the TV camera doesn't always show you what they're doing. So there we all know there's too many sports writers involved with the Hall of Fame committee. It's over the top. There should be a few of them because, yes, story matters a little bit. 
but you need to really know football and not just know it, but you need to take the time to watch the film in order to understand offensive linemen. And now they're getting screwed over by these receivers and stuff who are getting crazy numbers in, 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 a, in, a, in a day and age of escalated numbers. But it sucks to see Fanica not go in because I think there have been some great Steelers, obviously, in the modern era. But I think there are really only four players from the modern Steelers who are lock Hall of Famers, and that should be Fanica. Ben, Troy, and AB. And still one of them is waiting. And a cusp guy like Jerome Bettis. I know that sounds like like crazy talk coming from a Steelers fan to say that Jerome was even, you know, to say he's on the cusp of the Hall of Fame seems a little weird. Obviously, he's a top five or six rusher by the time he retired, and he was amazing. And I do think Jerome's deserving of the Hall of Fame, but he wasn't a slam dunk. He was never considered the top running back in the league or something like that. Um but obviously a, a great player for a long time. But Fanica was a slam dunk. Didn't make it. Bummer. Hopefully he gets in next year, but I don't know. So moving on to another Steelers legend, Joe Green was interviewed during the Super Bowl week and really gratifying. Just like an old school humility. Yeah, he talked about Aaron Donald and he had some quotes that usually retired players – they like to give new players their credit, but they also like to give them credit with an asterisk, letting them know that they play in a new age where certain things are easier, stats are easier to compile, and so on and so forth. And they're not wrong in doing that. They're actually uh, objectively correct. You know, when Jerry Rice was getting off of jams from cornerbacks, he was getting off of jams 20 yards down the field. AB doesn't have to deal with that. But still, there, there can be other ways you can um, compare yourself to people. But long story short, Joe Green talked about Aaron Donald, who we now all agree as already an all-time great defensive player and he said man i just didn't have the size or speed of that guy or the strength um um, at that time that aaron donald has and i thought that that was revealing because like you said it's just this old school humility because of course he didn't have the size speed or strength nobody did in the 70s the training has come so far the nutrition and the way that these players sculpt their bodies from clay into iron into steel into marble into eventual bronze hall of fame trophy uh, busts that Aaron Donald would have. Yeah. The guys weren't as, as uh, built back in those days. So it's sort of like, yeah, of course you weren't, you couldn't have been, but is Aaron Donald more dominant than Joe green? Uh, who knows? It's different. There's handicaps based on the era, but it was cool and refreshing to see Joe green have that, um, that sort of stance, especially with all the nastiness and the me first culture going on with the Steelers right now to see pretty much the franchise best player ever um, come out and say something like that to compliment a player like Aaron Donald. And let's hope Aaron Donald plays well tonight because if he has a monster game, they have a chance. And I guess we'll find out by the end of this podcast if he did or if he didn't. Yeah, we'll, we'll put ourselves in the future. Um, interestingly, I went back to look to see how many sacks Joe Green had. They didn't have it in pro football reference. i kind of surprised they didn't start tracking that until later. 700 708,000 sacks. That sounds roundabout, right? Hey, so one thing is troubling that uh, Joe Green and Aaron Donald put their talents together. To, they're putting together a Super Bowl commercial. And I'm a little concerned because I don't think you you can top the Mean Joe Green Coca-Cola iconic ad of the 70s. It's going to be – you're going to have to compare it to that. Well, they keep remaking everything. They remade Blade Runner. They're making Indiana Jones again. They're remaking everything up in here. So, of course, they're going to do it. Uh, I have my doubts. But, 
hey, you got a Pittsburgh Steelers legend and a University of Pitt legend in there. So at least from that angle, we can be happy that we get a victory that way on Super Bowl Sunday. So another interesting Pittsburgh connection, Aaron Donald got to know um, Bill Fralick, the late Bill Fralick. They both coincidentally played at Penn Hills. And uh, Bill Frelick was a dominant lineman at Pitt and also in the NFL. And it's interesting that they crossed paths at one time. We're, we're rooting for Aaron Donald tonight. Not only could you defeat the Patriots, but we're claiming him as a Los Angeles Ram. Ram, we're claiming him as a Pitt Panther tonight. And if he wins the Super Bowl, I vote one sixtieth of the Super Bowl goes to the city of Pittsburgh. We take it. We take credit. We sculpted the man for the Rams who is going to defeat the evil giant tonight. But I guess we'll find out by the end of the podcast. So there's more interesting Steeler trivia in the news this week. Would you believe Terry Bradshaw is a financial wizard mm. quoted in the Wall Street Journal? His, his knowledge of finance is only surpassed by his greatness uh, in the field of country music, I would expect. Well, well it was actually more of a human interest story. Uh, he got interviewed and – Terry went all the way back, way back to the childhood. Really interesting. Uh, he he'd, um, wouldn't say it was the most articulate of interviews, but Weird. I didn't know a lot about his his upbringing. He spent a lot of time working on a farm. He's a farm boy and uh, spent a lot of time perfecting that throw of his. But the most interesting throw to me is he set the national record in the yep. javelin throw, reaching 245 feet. Do you know what the record Current, currently stands at i think that where does it stand now i thought he had it for a while it might have just gotten broken or does he still have it for a long time that um yeah it just recently got broken it was set in 2010 at 255 feet man that's crazy yeah, that is that is crazy and it's not like this was a bob beeman like 1968 long jump that destroyed the, the sport for 40 years he, he consistently threw it um, above 235 yards. Pretty interesting. I say yards. I read his autobiography when I was younger, and it, it's actually a pretty awesome read, man. If you like like him and Brett Favre, they're such interesting dudes, uh, country fan corn boys and such. But he puts a lot of emphasis on that javelin throwing in high school and gives that a lot of credit for how he threw the ball because – he is one of the great deep ball throwers ever at the quarterback position. And honestly, Terry gets too much hate. He's underrated, man. I mean, it's like ignore the stats. We know the ratio of touchdowns to interceptions is is off in that time. And, yeah, he threw a bunch of interceptions. And, of course, he had an incredible team around him. But you can make an – I mean, he's one of the two or three best – big game quarterbacks ever. He was lights out in those Super Bowls, and so much of it is because he faded back in the pocket, usually bought a little bit of time, and could launch that ball downfield with that odd throwing motion. I think he actually kept his finger on the back point of the ball, which is so odd. I don't know how he made that work. Uh, just as interesting as he has no football memorabilia in his house. The only thing he's kept is the stainless steel javelin he threw in high school. And he keeps it in a glass case on the mantle. He said he doesn't like the bragger show off. Uh, I, I disagree. I'm not sure um, that that's a, it's a bit disingenuous. He, maybe he's not a braggart, but uh, he definitely can have his feelings hurt pretty easy. A little thin skin. His Super Bowl rings. He donated them to Louisiana Tech University. Wow. Well, that's that's kind of cool, actually. If you're not going to wear them, take sure. it to your alma mater, especially a small school like that. But. It, it it does suck that we have to give Terry so much crap because uh, he generates reasons for us to do so with the thin skin and the talking crap. But 
if you look back on him, I mean, he's he's the man. I don't know about that. Uh, you know, no, it, it sucks to see. You know, him versus Joe Green. Joe Green's still involved with the Steelers. He gives opinions. He gives opinions on Aaron Donald. He kind of has perspective on what he meant to the game and what his team meant, but still has a little bit of a taste for the modern stuff. And Terry's just classic textbook, like jaded old old guy, you know? No, so, I, actually, I would say he was the early day version of A.B. You know, the attention, the, the, the quest for attention and how he could be offended so easily. But look, you and I have talked about this on a number of occasions. There, what got these guys there is some something unusual about their yeah. personality that gave them the drive. Uh, maybe they're thin skin and they had to prove something. So it got us an unbelievable quarterback for uh, to start our dynasty. And speaking of dynasties, as you know, Terry was a quarterback at La Tech. Who do you mm-hmm. think he was backed up? Terry Hanratty. No, he was Notre Dame. <laughs> I don't know. Phil, who. Phil Robertson of Duck dynasty fame he was a year ahead of bradshaw and then started. i did hear that he was a starter for two seasons and then chose not to play in a season that's when uh bradshaw began to start uh, that's a good quarterback room right there nice and one last interesting stat from the article his most impressive numbers were the 3,833 passing yards in 19 postseason games and on that list he is a thousand yards ahead of roger staubach yeah, and he was throwing 13 passes a game too, you know, so every pass was a bomb. You got it was a different game back then and you were able to tackle receivers. So, Terry's the man. Um it is nice to hear some some stories about him. Wish he would tone it down with some of the hatred sometimes cuz like, dude, you had a great life. You and I have both been incredibly complimentary of Tony Romo. I mean, it's not often that we Everybody give compliments has, yeah. to the the TV announcers, but you know, as you and I have, have talked about he's he's knowledgeable i mean a lot of players are knowledgeable but this guy is kind of like a savant it's not just the knowledge either so there's a lot going on right now and again we'll give we'll give more context on this at the end of the podcast when we when we record after the super bowl but there's a lot going on right now where tony romo is just the most hyped broadcaster since john madden and in my opinion he is 100 percent deserving of that praise some people are trying to be a bit reductive particularly some ex-quarterbacks in the nfl you know david carr i think he's a good analyst but he was talking about with dave damashek the other week on how pretty much any uh former starting quarterback in the nfl or really for any former quarterback in the 21st century the nfl would be able to call out plays like tony romo is calling out during the game and and they say that like people should sort of settle down with that. Well, to me, it's not just about him calling the plays. If he was just calling the plays out and, and had no personality, he wouldn't be that captivating. It's the mixture of kind of when he calls them out. It's the mixture of how natural he is on a broadcast, what information he decides to give out at what time. The job of the color commentator is to make the broadcast a little bit more exciting, not get in the way, but also give the viewers a little bit more insight onto what's happening. That's why it's usually the former players or former scouts. And he does a great job with that. And he just, he seems very naturally excited about football and he loves the game and And then he does know when to give knowledge at the right time. So I think that some people just have a voice for music. Like let's say, let's talk about Jay-Z for a second. One of the unanimously considered greatest rappers of all time, but the guy hasn't put out anything but crap for 15, 20 years. He's more of a businessman at at this point. His earlier raps, a little bit more fluid and everything like that. But what I say to him, like when he has a feature now, 
in a song, you can tell he didn't write down anything before he got in the booth. And some guys can do that, and, and, and it sounds good. His sound like nursery rhymes. But at the end of the day, the quality of Jay-Z's voice, the bass in there, the smoothness is so perfect that it's like you don't even have to say anything revolutionary. You just sound good rapping. And that's just like a God-given skill, the tone of his voice. And I think Tony Romo has some of that in addition to his knowledge of football where his excitement is transmittable. And he's just a good broadcaster. So anyway, I spent a lot of time in the Wall Street Journal this week, and there was a great article on Tony Romo, and they measured his success rate. He called 2,599 plays in 2018, exclusive of the playoffs. And they analyzed how many predictions he made. He made it out of all those calls, though. He only made 72 predictions. It seemed like a lot more. And when they asked him how many they thought he thought he got right, he thought he was right 21% of the time. But it turns out he was actually right 68% of the time. Yeah, and then that's he a lot. Went, and then he, then he blew up in the AFC championship game, calling the game when he touched down. He called the last three plays. It was pretty good. And, you know, you hear his description and he tries to uh, elucidate how, he, how he's able to be so predictive. Mm-hmm. But I, and, and he does say, hey, look, I understand tendencies and I understand – formations but he has you know he's doing out loud what a quarter what a good quarterback has to do in 30 seconds in his head so you're looking at the field where where the feet set what is uh again what are the tendencies so i thought um pretty cool though you actually this is even better than miking up players on the field tony romo sort of says out loud what they've got to go through during an actual play so i can't wait till they perfect that qb cam so we can see what a quarterback oh, seeing as he walks away from the huddle. Yeah, there you go. It, it is a big part of the appeal is the calling out of the plays. But I, and I do think that his appeal is much more than that because I have heard some people try to be reductive recently and be like, other people can call out plays too. And my response would be, well, they don't call them out as well as Tony Romo does or they don't do the other things as well as he does because he definitely brings value to the game. The, the, the announcers that I have the biggest problem with are either the guys who just string together cliches or the guys who clearly don't do their research on the teams. They don't know the intricacies of the players. They try to feed old storylines like announcers from the past couple of years who are like Ben Roethlisberger makes a living off of breaking tackles. And it's, it's like that's the Ben Roethlisberger story from six, seven, eight years ago. What about the stuff he does now? You know, you always have to know, know where Troy Polamalu is on the field. You know, I need somebody who's actually researched the team and their tendencies. And Tony Romo does that. Where are you going to place your prop bet? for the percentage of plays that Tony Romo gets right in the Super Bowl. Is there a line? Like a 50% is there a percentage or is it like so I mean he's definitely going over 50. Well, let me go over to my bookie and find out what the line is. You know what? I think uh if it's over under let's say a 50%. Uh, let's put it at 60%. Since this average is 68. Let's be generous. I think he's going to be right below 50 per, 60% because you have two genius coaching staffs going at it two weeks to prepare for the game and they know they need to trick the other teams because everything they've done all year is out on tape at this point so what they'd be smart to do was take some plays and make them look like tried and true plays and then run different counters off of them so they can trick Tony Romo and Bill Belichick well i may have been a bit too subtle on that but i was um prompting you 
to talk about my bookie. Well, when I make that bet, I was gonna do it on my bookie. You didn't let me. You didn't let me finish, man. And my bookie, man. Here's a pause because I was not. I don't have the 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 ad pulled up, so I'd be making it up. Let me know when I can go. I'm ready whenever. You can go. Because my bookie offers betters in all major markets an entertaining lineup of gaming options. They got prop bets like how many plays is Tony Romo going to predict? How many of them are going to be right? Will Bill Belichick smile? Will Tom Brady cry? Will Tom Brady throw a pick six? Will Tom Brady please lose? Anyways, they got a lot of different prop bets. You can bet on the fantasy over and under and all that if anybody's doing like a one-game fantasy for the Super Bowl. But visit mybookie.ag online today. Don't forget to use our promo code OUTPOST25. Let them know that we sent you. Use that code OUTPOST25 when creating your account to claim up to $1,000 in free play. Remember, who you're betting on is just as important as who you're betting with. You play, you win, you get paid. So this is kind of interesting. There are some... A couple prop bets. The halftime show. There is uh, a bet on whether what song Maroon Five will open up with. Mm-hmm. Will Adam Le- Levine? Le- Levine. <laughs> nice and current. Thanks oh, for the, the thanks for the well, stories on the seventy Steelers earlier. We got to look at the past and the present. Uh, will Adam Levine wear a leather jacket? You don't need to know that. Yeah, I'm actually proud that you don't know how to say his last name. And um, will Gladys Knight forget a word in the national anthem? Oh, geez, that you she's of, not going to forget a word. That's crazy. A lot of prop bets on the national anthem. Yeah, does it go over one thirty or or under? You know, there's all kinds of different ways that this could go. Gladys Knight, she's a classic, though. I think she's going to keep it classy. And Tony Romo, I feel like he's going to be judicious, judicial, judicious, judicious, lanolin. Landon, like Sheep's Wool, on calling out those plays because it's been such a story for the last two weeks. I think he'll know not to overdo it, but hopefully he doesn't get cold feet. All right. There, here's one that I think we should bet on a pretty easy. Gronk wears a hat between game end and locker room. Oh, well, that if they win, he's definitely wearing one. So, All right. Yes. <laughs> hey, so well, speaking we'll of the Patriots, I saw another article that uh, done by um, – Heck, heck, morning consult. The Patriots apparently are, uh, they're making their ninth Super Bowl appearance in Ooh. 18 years. They have a net favorability of minus one, and it's the only dynasty since 1980 with a negative ranking. And let me, let me throw a couple of these teams that are out there that are considering dynasties. Number one, at the top of the list with a plus uh, positive rating, a positive rating of 30 is the Chicago Bulls from 91 to 98. Right below them, below them are the Lakers hmm. and some other teams as the Celtics and so forth. But right That's above cool. New England are the San Francisco Giants from 2010 to 2014. They're the next lowest, but they have a positive 10. So it's interesting just how spurned the New England Patriots are by the, the nation. I think it's just because it's so long. All the rest of these dynasties were like 10 years or under. And to me, the New England Patriots – and this, this is not me being hyperbolic here. The New England Patriots are the greatest dynasty in the history of sports, all sports. None of the others touch them because, A, they are doing it for an insanely long time. Uh, obviously, it's Belichick, Brady, you know, Kraft, and there have been other moving parts. But they're doing it for 20 years. They're not even necessarily done. This thing could keep going. 
And they're doing it in a league that is designed for parity. The, you know, the Niners weren't dealing with salary cap. There's all kinds of things that the Patriots have done to have this longevity where the league is designed to not let you have longevity because they want more people to be able to win all the time. Look at the NFC. Look at who comes out of the NFC every year. Sure, you see the Seahawks and the Giants come in and out, but otherwise it's usually a, a roving cast of people coming in. If you look back at you know UCLA basketball or look at Nick Saban and Alabama football, they're incredible, but they get the luxury of taking the best players every year from high school. They get a recruit. The Patriots draft at the end of the <laughs> the end of the draft every time. Also, factor in football is tougher to remain con to to like keep that continuity because if you get one or two bad injuries, then you might not go to the Super Bowl. They always find a way to weather those injuries and so on and so forth. And to dominate for this long, I think people are just tired of it. Well, I mean, all that speaks to how good they are. That doesn't speak to their favorability rating. And I don't want to choose the one example that sort of disproves that, but the San Antonio Spurs or a dynasty from 1999 to 2014. And they are middle of the pack, a plus 18. I mean, if you see this chart, you'll say it's pretty obvious. I would like to see Duke. I would like to see college teams put up here to see if we're seeing the same trend yeah. as you have. Maybe you wouldn't say that Duke is quite the Patriots, but pretty darn close. And I don't know. Pretty hated. They're pretty hated. But, yeah, the Spurs, I mean, they're not. the. They didn't make it to nine NBA finals in 18 years. I mean, they That's were good. Cool, they're not talking to achievement. They're, they're talking a dynasty. I mean, relative to the, to the sport they're in, they were considered a dynasty, at least in this survey, for 15 years. And they were not hated like the, the Patriots. That's, so if your supposition is people just don't want to see the same team there, um, I mean, the San Antonio, uh, San Antonio belies that. Well, my point is that the Patriots were there so much more than these other dynasties that you're comparing them to. So they're getting exhaustion from the Patriots being there. The Spurs were good for that time. They made it to a, uh, what, what, five or six, maybe seven, five, not even that. I mean, they just, the Patriots are there every other year for 20 years. The Spurs weren't that good. And so that speaks directly to my point of like, the exhaustion of the Patriots are that much more dominant than these other dynasties. They're always there. You look at that famous graphic that they put up every year of AFC quarterbacks to make it into the Super Bowl over the last 18 years, and it's a ton of pictures of Tom Brady and a couple of Ben and Peyton Manning. It's just, yep, Spurs were good, but they weren't knocking your favorite team out of the playoffs every year for two decades good. So we have this crappy 2018 season behind us and we can start over and get the shovel out and start working on 2019. We would love to get your feedback. Anything you want to hear during the off season. We do have some interesting shows planned, even in the, the dearth and the doldrums of the off season. We'd like to hear from you. Check out our Instagram at Steelers Outpost. Hit us up on Twitter at Steelers Outpost. Leave us a note on the Steelers Outpost website or just as easily shoot us an email at SteelersOutpost.gmail.com. Until next week, next month, next year, thanks for listening. Go Steelers. Okay, bye-bye. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. 
Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on Carol. She's more focused on hitting a high note than the car in front of her. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.